Hey, this is John Thorne. My new book is The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, Pathways to Twin Peaks. You can order it on Amazon, where you can find it in hard copy and is a Kindle version. Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. So our Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, is currently out at bluerosemag.com. It is $19.99, so get your copy today as supplies are very limited and will be running out very soon. So if you haven't got your copy today, go to bluerosemag.com today. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Welcome to this week's edition of Twin Peaks Unwraps. I'm your host, Brian Kazaskin. Beside me, as always... Ben Durant. And this week's episode is part two of the Great Southern. Yeah, the Twin Peaks Fest there we got going on. Yeah, and we're... Um, we had a great time last week. We were the last... Uh, we're, we're technically, we're still there, Ben. <laughs> we're still in the hotel recording our shows. And I, I don't... People know... We spent the whole weekend recording and uh, going live and posting photos, so I hope everybody can enjoy those still. Today, we're going to be going out and we're going to be going to the Big Ed's... Craft uh, Farm. Yes, and it's going to be at a brewery, and we're going to have our second panel of the weekend. Yeah, so Scott Ryan's moderating. Yeah, moderating. He's going to be moderating this mythology. This is going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be great. Mythology panel. And it's a lot of the same people that that was on yesterday. Yeah, and it's interesting because we're going to hear more from them. Everybody was saying how they really wanted Charlotte to talk. Mm. So they kind of held back yesterday's panel because... It was about Charlotte. They yes. wanted to hear from Charlotte. And right. we got some really cool stories. I mean, like, how often do you get to have an actor oh. from Twin Peaks get to talk about And have, be in a panel with you. Yeah. And everybody was in such awe. And she's such a nice woman. And it was a special day. It really was. And I think today's going to be more of a special day because Charlotte's going to be selling stuff at this craft fair. Hmm. We're going to be at a brewery. Uh, we're going to hopefully get some interviews with some crafters that yeah, sell Twin other, Peaks Maybe things. some of the people on the panel that we'll yeah. talk with. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, so we don't know what today's going to bring, but whatever it is, I hope everybody enjoys the show. And I guess I could. we can kind of tease next week's show. We're going to be going to uh, Joe Bacco. We did the last episode, and I, I, you know, I held back a lot of stuff because I saved it for the Joel show. And I hope everybody, this is the big one. I, you know, twenty nine was big. This is going to be bigger. Joel <laughs> Bacco on. We're going to be discussing it, and uh, theories will be flying everywhere. It's going to be great. I'm excited to uh, listen to it myself. It'll be good. <laughs> so. Uh, We'll be back after the panel uh, to close out the show, and maybe we'll have some uh, few guests. All right, we're here at Big Ed's Craft Farm, and we're with Katie from Lady No Brow. Hi, Katie. Hi. So, will you uh, tell us what you have here on the table. 
I have four portraits of four different characters of Twin Peaks painted on slices of logs. We've got Agent Cooper, we've got Audrey Horn, we've got Laura Palmer, and we got the log lady. And if somebody was interested in getting these, or do you have a website? Do you have a place for, that uh, people could order these? Yes, you can go to my store at ladynobrow.com. All right, we're here with Charlotte Stewart. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. How was that the Great Southern Weekend for you? Oh my gosh. Um, well, first of all, I've met so many uh, fans for, for uh, Twin Peaks and so many people that were here last year. So this has become a really successful event and hopefully we'll be back next year. Do you want to tell me about what you're selling? Um, okay, I brought, of course, souvenir pictures from Twin Peaks, all kinds, Betty Briggs and Betty Briggs and Bobby and all. I brought my... Um, my memoir, Little House in the Hollywood Hills, A Bad Girl's Guide to Becoming Miss Beetle, Mary X, and Me. And then I also brought what I call tote, well they are tote bags, I don't just call them tote bags, they are tote bags. But they have pictures from uh, Twin Peaks on them. The one I'm looking at right now is Major Briggs, Betty, and Bobby. And then I have one with Betty Briggs and um, wearing the happy face button on the way to Laura Palmer's funeral. And they are patchwork bags with uh, decorated with ribbon. And uh, there's, um, they're about, I don't know, 16 by 16. They're a good travel bag uh, over the shoulder or going to fan events. And I, 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 I give 15% to a cancer program in Napa, California, where I live. Now, for people who aren't here, is there a way for them to be able to purchase these items? You can go on Facebook, and there will be directions on my Facebook page how to order directly. Um, I, I can't friend anybody anymore on Facebook because I just broke Facebook. I have, they said I can't have more than 5,000 friends, and I didn't know I had 5,000 friends. So, Or you can go to charlottestewartbook.com. You have a picture that, look, that is the same picture you used for the Christmas card. Can you tell us how that Christmas card came about? Yes. Um, on the set, uh, in one of, the, one of the scenes within the Briggs home, I had my camera, and I had someone take a picture of Major Briggs, Betty, and Bobby. And I just said to them, okay, sit down here. And Bobby flopped on back of the sofa, looking surly as ever. And it was my camera, so I owned the picture. And that, oh, some months later, I was in Rite Aid, and I looked, and they had this machine where you could put your photograph in and make a Christmas card. So I thought, oh, what a grand idea, a Briggs family Christmas card. So I took that picture, and I did one of those happy season from the Briggs family. It was the most absurd card you have ever seen. And I took it to Seattle, Washington, I had a hundred of them, and I, we were at the uh, Seattle Art Museum, and I put them out on the counter, and, they, and I sold them for 10 bucks a piece, and I sold every single one of them. Now, the next year, I did it again. Nobody bought any, so you never know. It was a novelty, so I may do it again. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're so, so welcome. Welcome to the Red Room Podcast's first live event with Twin Peaks Unwrapped. This is the first time the podcast has been live out somewhere. I want to prove to our home viewers that there are some people out there. So let's hear a round of applause. <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, 
My name is Scott Ryan. I do the Red Room podcast, and I debuted my documentary Voyage to Twin Peaks last night. If you came out to watch it, I really appreciate it. And the panel is going to introduce, not themselves, is what we have decided. You're going to introduce someone else. So who wants to introduce, not themselves? (laughs) I'll go first. This right here is John Thorne. He is the co-founder and co-editor of the legendary Wrapped in Plastic magazine that ran for 75 issues from, I believe, 1993 to 2005. Yep. And uh, he also just published a really wonderful book, Wrapped in, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic Pathways to Twin Peaks. I think I got that right. You did. Thank you. Um, and he's also got a really cool blog called Above the Convenience Store. And uh, it's kind of ramping up in action, too, lately, which is exciting. Uh, I always, always check out his new posts there. So mm-hmm. check it out. Brad, appreciate it. You guys want to? You don't want? You want me to introduce Brad? I can introduce Arthur. He's, uh, <laughs> Arthur Smith is um, a curator, television curator at the Paler Center for Media in New York. He's um, a co-author with me of the new book Twin Peaks FAQ. Um, I don't know what else. I mean, he's, his social security number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of like Freaks and Geeks, um, SCTV, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is our next book I might mention, um, and that's about it. Good? Uh, David has the same credits, but his name is David. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'm going to introduce Brad. This is Brad Dukes, who wrote uh, the incredible book Reflections, an oral history of Twin Peaks. It's one of the best books about Twin Peaks you can get. It's up there with Lynch on Lynch by Chris Rodley. You should have it in your library. Uh, and uh, it's one of the best, along with the Twin Peaks FAQ, which is also one of the best books. And you better have that in your library. Um, and then Brad is also the host of the Brad Duke Show, his podcast, which is really cool and worth listening to because Brad is a great interviewer. So, so that is our panel. Let's hear it for all of our guests. Um, so just to start off with, I have this idea that Twin Peaks has two sides to it, the Laura Palmer side and the Agent Cooper side. And I'm curious if each of the panel would go down and say which side you would fall on is who leads the story of Twin Peaks. Is the story of Twin Peaks that Laura Palmer leads you through it or is it Cooper as being the fresh eyes to it? Um, Arthur? You go first. Which side would you say? I mean, we love them both, but if you had to pick, which side you fall on? Right. Well, I guess in classical narrative terms, Cooper would be the protagonist. Um, he's our sort of point of view character and way in through most of the series. And we actually don't see that much of Laura until Fire Walk With Me. Um, so for me, Cooper is really the character I follow. All right, Dave. I would, say, I would agree agree with that um, from a from a narrative point of view, and I think the other point that Arthur didn't mention specifically is that Cooper more or less arrives in uh, Twin Peaks when we do. He's the outsider, and uh, Laura, of course, lives there, and um, you know she's been there all her life. So I think I think we're meant to identify with Cooper. I think Laura Palmer. I don't think she was meant to be such a huge character. Like, I think the character in the mystery sort of took on a life of its own. And people from the network that I've talked to at ABC, uh, they didn't really expect Who Killed Laura Palmer to be 
a national catchphrase. I mean, it was almost like something you'd see on bumper stickers way back when. Mm -hmm. So for me, Dale Cooper's my favorite TV character of all time. So I think he is the man steering the ship. It's definitely Laura Palmer. <laughs> and I, I, I think David Lynch wants you to think it's Laura Palmer. I think that's why he made Firewalk With Me. I think Firewalk With Me is his way of saying, now go back and watch the series and keep all of this about Laura in mind while you watch it. I do believe that the series itself, obviously, is the, is the story of Cooper investigating Laura. But Laura is a presence throughout the show, and then the film really kind of puts her back in the front of everything. So um, I believe that David Lynch wanted you to be thinking of Laura Palmer while you're watching the show. And that's why he made the movie. So I just don't think that that's the same question, though. I think, I think what you're asking, I mean, it's, I think what David Lynch wanted was one thing, and what Mark Forrest wanted was something else, but I think what you're asking is how to, I think after David Lynch makes Twin Peaks, he becomes, that becomes just another interpretation of Twin Peaks. So yeah. mm -hmm. I sort of answered that from a personal perspective. Well, I also think it's Laura Palmer. It would be my answer, too. I think that the story of Twin Peaks is the story of Laura Palmer, and I, the way I would prove that would be that the end credits throughout the entire series is her homecoming picture. And, right. you know, and Lynch even puts her face in the coffee cup in the last episode. Right. So I think Laura Palmer is the center that brings it there. Um, but there's no right or wrong answer, it's, it's just fun. So I want to take the audience's I think, poll. Uh, I think the story of Twin Peaks is the story of Betty Briggs. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, I'm curious what the audience thinks. Those of you who, who would say Agent Cooper is, is the path you go down, let's hear a, a round of applause. <laughs> and what about Laura Palmer? Yeah. Yeah. It's, evenly split. it's like evenly split. So, <laughs> Scott, here's something I thought about. Would you recommend somebody who hasn't seen any Twin Peaks, but they know Lynch, they know what they're in for, and they're curious, do you think it would be advisable to watch Fire Walk with me first? Um, I, I, I don't think it would be advisable, because I think the fun part of Twin Peaks is, is not knowing who did it, and when you see Fire Walk with me, it's just... You know, it's very, it's not surprising at all. But I do have a friend that started with Firewalk with me and watched it that way, and they love it just as much, you know, well, not just as much, <laughs> you know. But they love it too, because I think you, then you remove the mystery, and it's like watching it for like it was for all of us the second time. I'm sure everyone here has seen it more than once. So I think it makes, difference. Would anyone else? Yeah, a quick comment about that. That's a, you know, that's a famous question. Should I watch Firewalk with Me first or the series first? Because Firewalk with Me takes place before. I believe that um, you should watch the series first because it was made first. And then you should watch Firewalk with Me. And then you better watch the series again right after you watch Firewalk with Me. I think Firewalk with Me demands you watch it again. Yeah. And you should also read The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. After episode eight, <laughs> but before episode nine. <laughs> and then read Cooper's diary around episode 13 in season two, I think. Yeah, around that there sounds right. In, in that section, so. And then between the, the Star Picks cards, you have to go through the backs of each one. <laughs> and then read all your books. I mean, we got it, guys. You have books for sale. Uh, so my next question is what I call the Lynch conundrum. So, in the last five years or so, it keeps coming out that David Lynch thinks 
they should have never solved the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. And he says this was a mistake, that ABC forced them to solve it. If we do not solve the mystery, we don't have episodes 14, 15, and 16, which I submit are, is the peak of peaks. So my question is, is it a good idea to solve the mystery, or do you think Lynch was right that the show would have continued if they hadn't? So I'll, we'll go with you, Brad, first. Well, first off, I think that's a great question. But I think if you look at the ratings, and you can actually look at them on Wikipedia, you can look week by week. Twin Peaks was hemorrhaging ratings. Uh, they didn't get off to a good start uh, with the season two premiere, which I love, but I don't think it gave a lot of the fans of season one a great reason to invest further, if they weren't already. I think if you were a casual viewer, you may have seen that premiere and took a hike if Lynch isn't your thing. And he's not for everybody, but if you look at the ratings, they were steadily going down. And they did jump up with uh, the advertised revelation of Laura Palmer's murderer. But I think if you know you didn't reveal it, I think Twin Peaks maybe would have gotten canceled, uh, you know, sooner than it did. That's just my opinion. What do you think, Dave? I think that um, it's another way that Twin Peaks was ahead of its time, and that it, it, I wish that it could have aired on a niche channel or a channel where the ratings were not so important. And because I think that David Lynch should have been allowed, and, and Mark Frost should have been allowed to. Uh, solve that murder on their own timetable when they were ready creatively to do it and the fact that the network executives and you have suits who are coming in whose only concern is commerce telling these people what to do with their creative work is shameful um, so I want to discuss episode 29 which is for me always thought of as the last episode of Twin Peaks which it will no longer be thought of. It, it's now the longest season finale in history of television. Um, what happened to Cooper in episode 29? John? Uh, well, I think um, Cooper enters the Red Room, Black Lodge, wherever it is, whatever it is, as a whole Cooper. And in the course of his uh, experience in there, he divides into two people. Uh, a good Cooper and a bad Cooper, and the bad Cooper comes out. Now you can argue whether the bad Cooper already existed as an entity inside there, because there's evidence that that's true, but I think um, Lynch was interested in showing the flaw in Cooper and the, the struggle within him and depicting it uh, as, two, as a split into two beings. He kind of supports that in comments he's made and then also in Firewalk With Me when Annie says the good Cooper is in the lodge and he can't get out. So I argue that at the end of that episode when the two Coopers are running, uh, it's not uh, a chase scene where one Cooper, the, the bad Cooper is trying to, you know, beat the, you know, stop, catch the good Cooper, but they're both racing because only one can get out. And he and the bad Cooper gets out. What, uh, I think it's clear that Lynch feels that everybody has a for lack of better terminology, good side and bad side. But have we seen any signs whatsoever of a bad Cooper? I'm assuming that, that you agree with that, that everybody has a good side and a bad side. Have we seen any foreshadowing of a bad Cooper anywhere during the course of the movie or the, uh, or the TV series? I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I can't think of it. it 
I'd have to think about it. There may be something in the past of whatever happened with Carol and Earl, but I don't think in the show we see uh, a bad Cooper manifest itself. So do you, do you, do you, why do you think that it's the bad Cooper that comes out instead of the good Cooper that comes out? Uh, Lynch has kind of said that in Lynch on Lynch. He said, uh, you know, it's the bad Cooper. But what, no, but I mean, why, well, why I think is it's that? fear. I mean, and I was going to pose this to you, Arthur. What, what role does fear play in episode 29? Well, they do say that if you face the test of the lodge with less than perfect courage, you're destroyed. Um, and I think very deliberately, Cooper up to that point has been presented as an absolute paragon of uh, the heroic knight errant who's pure of heart and of motive. We see him tempted by Audrey. We, we, we see him uh, in very difficult moments where he doesn't ever hesitate to do the right thing. So I think the idea that even this incorruptible sort of saint falters at this moment and is undone is just a testament to the kind of terrifying power uh, that's being tapped into there in the lodges. But, but how does he falter? I don't understand how um, does he falter. It, I think it's his fear for Annie. What, what do you mean? What, how does he falter? Why wouldn't you be scared? And, I mean, he's scared. <laughs> he's scared, but he, sa but he offers to save, to sacrifice his soul for her. It so has it's not something like to do with whatever happened in his past, because there is the Caroline uh, Annie. She's there. Yeah. And Caroline is there. The wound appears in Cooper's side. Something happened to him in the past that he still feels like he didn't succeed at whatever he should have been doing when he was guarding Carolyn Earl. That's still haunting him. And I think he uh, returns to that moment and displays fear and runs away. And at that moment, he's, he's flawed and he's susceptible. Well, but what is his option there? What does he run away or what? He's trying to get out. I mean, he's there, to, he's there ostensibly to save Anne. But he's already saved her. He's already saved her. We don't know if he's no, saved I don't, her. I don't think he had at that point. Brad, what do you think? I think a lot of it comes down to that moment when Wyndham Earl says, if you give me your soul, I'll let any live, and he does. And yeah. yes. I think when he sort of surrenders his soul to he doesn't, though. whoever. I don't think I mean, he does, though. It, he could have been talking to Bob. I mean, it, Bob says, no, you know, I, I will not he, tell, he, take he, you. Know? He, I think Brad's point is that he was willing to give yeah. up his soul, and that could be a, a I mean, He really entered, you know, Bob's domain where Bob has control, I, I think. So I think both Cooper and Wyndham Earl really had no idea what they were doing in there. And they all, and they both fell victim to Bob Well, that was going to be game. my next question. I'll, I'll let you start with. Is Bob using Wyndham Earl, or is Wyndham Earl using Bob? Bob was using Wyndham Earl all along. I don't think anybody uses Bob, or no one's figured out how to use Bob. Except maybe Mike. Except maybe Mike. That's a good <laughs> and, and the giant. I feel like the giant has the jump on Bob. He went out and gave Cooper the three clues. He told him he was to stay away from Annie at the end of the, right before the, the dance, the, the dancing pageant. Right. So I think the giant maybe has a, the beat on Bob, but you know, I, think, I think Bob's pulling the strings up until the very end. You got some? I don't know. I always so, sort of thought of Wyndham Earl, and I, I think when you, uh, when you think about the fact that Wyndham Earl was really Mark Frost's character, that right, that Lynch wasn't really very interested in, I see them as completely separate agents. I think Wyndham Earl was pursuing his own agenda. He thought that 
uh, interfacing with the Black Lodge was going to confer upon him some great power. I don't think he knew who Bob was. And I think he just uh, got a lot more than he bought. I, I think there's some evidence that, Bob, that Wyndham Earl knew that there was this evil power Something. out there, and he wanted to find out more about it and harness it somehow. Right. He had no idea what he was tampering with. Exactly. And once he got in there, Bob was like, you know, I don't have you know, time for this. Right. So Wyndham Earl was in way over his head. Exactly. I yeah. just never saw a connection directly between Bob and, and Wyndham Earl. Right. But maybe. I, I like the character of Wyndham Earl, but I, don't, I was never scared by that guy. He just, no. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good so foil like for a, Cooper in a way, but he wasn't really ever scary. He seemed more like a clown. Well, we talk, you know? we, we have a lot of fun in the book talking about his sort of arts and crafts obsession. <laughs> like, that cabin looks really fun because he's just like making costumes and paper mache props. And like, if it weren't for the, the yeah. torture and giant pawns, kind of a good time. <laughs> Do you think Wyndham should maybe do like a summer camp for kids? That's what we call it. Little, ser <laughs> little serial killers. Another question is, um, is Laura Palmer the end of the Palmer line? And is that why Bob is so concerned about getting her? And how do you think that will play in season three? You know, we know that it was Leland's grandfather to Leland, and they wanted Laura so badly. You know, do you think that season three is going to play into that somehow? Wow, I don't know, Scott. That's a good question. I think um, Laura was the ultimate prize. Whether or not it's because she was just the third in line or something about her. Uh, I think she was the ultimate prize. They knew that she would be more power. I don't know. It was, she was special. She was special in a way. The town reacted to her in such a way that indicates that she was a part in some way. Um, I would argue that she was so special that in, in the end, uh, she defeats Bob. In right. Firewalk so with me, I, she defeats Bob. Right, so I think it's also something about the idea of conquest. I mean, here's this one person who resisted him, and she, he could not... It's true for, I think, any of us when we come up against something that's harder for us to achieve, it becomes more of an obsession of ours to achieve it. That, that's but I think I, it, it, the fact that we know there was Leland and back there, it has to do with something, I feel I like. And I'm curious about that for season three. I think there's a, one of the themes of the show is this kind of circularity and, and recurring patterns. And I think one of the most explicit ones is this idea of abuse being cyclical. The, the violence visited upon a father comes back in the next generation. So I see that as, I see the kind of Palmer line as an illustration of that idea. That this, you know, if you don't purely think of Bob as a separate entity, but as an aspect of Leland or manifestation of this abstract idea of evil, I think the fact that he's interested in Palmer after Palmer uh, sort of ties into this idea that that abuse is cyclical and it, it comes back around and comes back around. If you were so obsessed with a Palmer line, why not wait till Laura was married and had a child? Oh, she was never going to settle down. <laughs> true. Come on. But I mean, then he moves on to Maddie, which is, you know... I, I think I that's one area that could be more explored because uh, Sarah Palmer has these visions. And Maddie is of the other bloodline. She's not a Palmer. Uh, She's on Sarah Palmer's 
side of the family. And she, Maddie's got psychic powers as well. So I think yeah. you could maybe explore yeah. that family a little bit. And I wish they had done that the first time around. I think, I really believe that there may be more of that in the new series. And I, I, I tend to think that Cheryl Lee will once again be playing two characters. That she'll play Laura Palmer and the red-headed cousin that we've always been Well, that's why about. I'm posing the idea that there's another Palmer, and that's who she'll be. I mean, another we cousin. know that Leland, well, no, could even be Leland's illegitimate daughter. We know that Leland oh, okay. cheated with Teresa Banks. He could have been a habitual yeah. cheater. It's just a way to bring Cheryl Lee back. Um, Separated at birth, right? There were two, there was a turn. <laughs> well, it's Emerald and Jade from... Um, Invitation to love. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about season three. Brad, you're our season three guru. Um, what can you tell us about season three that's not a spoiler? But what no do we spoiler, know? Brad, no spoiler. That's not a spoiler. What facts what do we actually know about season facts. three? Yes, facts, sir. <laughs> um, well, there's very. David Lynch directed it. It's on Showtime. It's directed by David Lynch. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin will be Agent Cooper. Uh, let's see. I will say this, and I don't think this is a spoiler. I think we're going to be spending a significant amount of time away from Twin Peaks, the town. There's going to be things outside of town. And it's not just a few scenes. I think it'll be a significant story. Might be a journey back to Twin Peaks. I don't know. Right. But I, Interesting. That's all I'm permitted to say at this time. I like it. Um, it could even be a voyage to Twin Peaks one time. <laughs> or it could be one asshole's trip to Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah, we, we, we have no idea. Um, what about any questions? What's, what's, anyone got any questions? Where's my, uh, where's my one buddy? Oh, there he is. He's sitting down here. Um, sir, go ahead and speak real loud so everyone can hear you. All right, um, I guess we'll start off with um, the Donna argument, because I know Scott is passionate about this. So he's saying that there's some sort of argument about Donna's. I have never heard of this. This so, argument that about a Donna, maybe Moira Kelly versus Laura Flynn Boyle, I've never heard of such a thing. So I think that Donna, Laura Flynn Boyle would have been better in Firewalk With Me and Moira Kelly would have been better in the series because that's when she should shine in the series. In the movie, she should have been a wallflower because Laura, that's Laura's story. And I think Laura Flynn Boyle is that perfect wallflower, but Moira Kelly could have given Donna a life of her own. So what do you guys think about that? I think that's a radical idea. I, I actually believe the exact opposite. I think Lara Flynn Boyle's Donna Hayward is incredibly dynamic, and I like I, this is a conversation I have all the time. If, and then I know how people respond to it, but if you think of five iconic Donna Hayward moments, every one of them is going to be Lara Flynn Boyle. Uh, Rocking back inside my heart, in the jail. Um, there's uh, not the, five iconic <laughs> Hayward moments. That's the yeah, first yeah, problem. There is. The skinny, dipping, the skinny dipping. Uh, daddy, no, the skinny dipping. No, wait, I said nobody's perfect. The skinny dipping. In your book, you say that the director was so absorbed in that that he forgot to yell cut. Which he's telling, which is so, and I could easily come up with two more. Every one of them is Lara from Boyle. No, there not, is one. The extended party land sequence of Fire Walk With Me. I think she takes off her, the top of her uh, dress or whatever. That's what she does. 
That's what you're remembering? <laughs> I mean, anybody could do that. No, it's a descent into hell, and it's heartbreaking and terrifying. I think it depends on what story you like better. I think in Fire Walk With Me, you have this very sweet, sheltered, uh, Moira Kelly looks younger, softer, smaller, more more uh, vulnerable, and you see her following Laura down this terrible hole, and it's heartbreaking. But in the show Twin Peaks, you see this this girl after that experience finding her sort of own agency, throwing off all the sort of received wisdom and uh, expectations of the town, and forging her own path to. That's what happened until the second season. She told David Lynch and Mark Force she didn't want to be that bad. So you're even admitting, therefore, the that, that Laura Flynn Boyle didn't want... And that's all my point is. No, but it didn't happen until the second season. In between seasons, you can correct me if I'm wrong, she went to David Lynch and Mark Force and said, I don't want to be that perfect, innocent girl anymore. She plays Donna that way for a full season. Then you come back and all of a sudden she's wearing more sunglasses. She's smoking cigarettes. She's like a completely different person. But that whole first season, she's this virtuous woman that is a little different from Laura Kelly because Laura's dead now. She's declared her love for James. But she's still like that. And my point about Laura Kelly is I really believe that she, and, and Scott says, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. I believe she's invisible in that movie. and. I can't believe that that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, I mean, I don't think an actress should be invisible. I, I, I think you need to ask the question next year when we have a third uh, Donna uh, <laughs> cast in the new series. Then you can debate which of the three. And it'll be Ashley Judd, right? Or Could be Ashley Judd playing the Judds in it or something. <laughs> so she'll be the third Donna. I don't think that Moira Kelly is invisible in Firewalk with Me. I think she's playing an innocent person. And I would submit the Chug-a-Lug Donna scene is as good as anything that Laura Flynn Boyle did. You just quoted a line that didn't even come from Donna. You just she quoted says, Chug -a -lug Donna. Who says that? My Laura Palmer. Right. You just quoted an well, iconic Donna Hayward line that Donna Hayward So you're say. saying an actor, this is what we do, by the way. <laughs> I think you fun. opened up a can We're of We're not even doing a panel the, uh, right now. We're just like, <laughs> but, but an actress doesn't have to have a line to be iconic. So the iconic moment is the way she reacts to Chuggle of Donna. Yes. How does she react? She reacts like she's trying to be brave but not succeeding. And I think the problem with Laura Flynn Boyle is she doesn't play the naivete side of it. The tension, David, in that scene where Donna's trying to come up to Laura or down to Laura's level, I, I, I know what's happening seduce the truck driver. I know what's happening in the scene. It's so excruciatingly painful to watch her Someone who likes her over that edge. <laughs> so, and it's because she's such a, a, a lovable, fragile, puppy sweet. dog. That's her is character. That, she's, she's like vapor. No, she's also funny and witty. If I had a better Johnny Horn, actually, that's my question. The, uh, <laughs> the actor in the pilot, or the no. Oh, um, so let's move to Cooper and Audrey. Um, what do you guys think of the Cooper and Audrey story in season two? You know, they always said they were supposed to get together, and they didn't. A good idea, bad idea. I have a strong opinion about that. Okay. I feel like the character of Audrey Horn was doomed from the beginning because she behaves more like a 25-year-old woman than she ever does a high schooler. She does in the pilot, but really after that pilot, 
she never comes off to me as a high schooler, but she's kind of written into a corner from day one. I mean, Agent Cooper, as an FBI guy, the moral compass of the show, just can't sleep with an 18-year-old girl that's in high school. It would really it just tarnish the character in a way you can't come back from, I think. So while I think it would have been good and I think they had great on-screen chemistry, Audrey was written into a corner from day one. So I think Kyle had a legitimate argument to say, I don't think this is right for the character. That's just how I feel. I think it also gives Cooper a little depth because he's clearly drawn to Audrey and charmed by her and attracted to her, but without hesitation he completely changes that dynamic to this sort of supportive, almost uh, paternal thing between the two of them. He, he doesn't even waver. He's like, no, this isn't right. Yeah, I think he gets her malt and fries. Uh, yeah, 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 malt and fries. He Everyone takes, knows he that. He takes her seriously. He I compliments know. her. Uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the original, in the first season, it was originally scripted to be ambiguous whether or not Cooper slept with Audrey that night when he finds her in her bed. The next morning, the script reads that Cooper's got his head down while he's eating and, and Audrey's at the table kind of playing with him and you don't know what happened. And of course, they actually shot it in a way where it's very definitive. The Cooper says, no, this is not going to happen. That was in the first season. And of course, all the talk is about what happened later in the right. second season. Something happened in the first season when they decided not to pursue that storyline, whether it was McLaughlin then or it was the writers who said, let's hold this off to the second season and we'll, we'll revisit the storyline. And then, of course, the controversy started. I think there was a third way in which he could have still um, had an attraction to her and taken her under his wing in a way and they could have had a relationship um, mentor-mentee or something. I think they lost something with Cooper and Audrey. They really split them up. And it didn't have to be, oh, he slept with her or he didn't sleep. He had a relationship with her. It didn't have to be that. But for whatever reason, they weren't sophisticated enough to find that, that connection. Because those characters did have a connection in the first season. And I think it could have been continued in a different way. And the directors had the sparkiest chemistry of any two yeah. on the show. Their scenes are really just Yes, alive. yes, and he could have consulted with her in a way. She wanted to be a detective. There was something there that didn't have to fall into the cliche of they slept together. It really could have been something more. Who knows why, but it, they lost something. Yeah, so, right. I think you could have carried the show building some kind of relationship with them that doesn't have to be explicitly romantic. I think they could have made a great team and worked together in a way that maybe we could see Audrey in the Black Lodge instead of Annie. Yes. I think right. it could have moved that in that direction and it could have worked very successfully. It's a strange thought to consider Audrey being in the Black Lodge. I mean, you just don't think of that. Anyone else have another question? or Go ahead. So there's a lot about the series, the movie, that maybe doesn't make a lot of full sense to me, but I sort of have this like foggy appreciation of. Except the monkey saying Judy. <laughs> <laughs> so I just any thoughts? Many that. thoughts, but... So, <laughs> that was just always the one thing that, well, I'm just not going to get it, I guess. I think it's one big inside joke by Bob Engels. His sister-in-law is named Judy, and he's like, ah, oh, this will be funny. I don't think there is like some huge 
mythologized story regarding Judy who rules over the Black Lodge or something. I think it's all a one-off cream corn thing by David I think Lynch. I, I've written about it. It's in the book. I think Judy was an idea that changed over time. I think they were going to create a mythology with Judy that she was somehow connected to Philip Jeffries, potentially Josie. As the movie changed in the writing and the editing, the definition of who Judy was changed. And so uh, I think a good way, not the only way, but a good way of looking at it is that Judy might be Laura Palmer. The monkey says Judy the instant we see Laura unwrapped in Firewalk With Me. Uh, only because it was a convenient thing, though. I think that's something that Lynch just maybe wanted to go one way with, was kind of forced to go another way with. Uh, it, it, it's a changing identity. So it was supposed to be. At one point, the idea was it was Josie's sister. Exactly. Yeah. In an early draft of the script, it was going to be Josie's sister. Then it changed again. Yeah, I mean, look how much you cut out as it was. There was supposedly this whole other mythology that. Right. And it could have been a. But parallel with um, Philip Jeffries, Jeffries yeah. and, and her and right. But I think the, so. There's two parts to that question: Judy and the monkey. And I think I would agree with Brad about the monkey. I think it's just a, a joke. So I would say that if you take the line from Philip saying, "We're not going to talk about Judy," and then you have this monkey talking about Judy, it's kind of breaking your own rule. And, I mean, this is such a stretch, and I just came up with this right now, <laughs> that I, I wish I could have sold this idea without stopping right here. But, I mean, if you think about the ultimate rule that Leland breaks with his daughter, you know, that, like, that's kind of what it is. That's what I was just thinking of that one, because he says, we're not going to talk about Judy, but the monkey says Judy. And that kind of starts the whole story. And that's a heck of a stretch, but that's no, I, you know, I kind of like that idea. Philip Jeffries is really definitive, right? We're not going to talk about Judy. I mean, it's just well, it's breaking Judy, the ultimate human saying, rule. You know what? Don't necessarily believe what someone tells you or says has got to be. And that was kind of be. That's an interesting way of looking at it. It's kind of like Judy was to Jeffries as Carolyn Earl is to Cooper. That I think may remain a mystery forever. I don't know. Maybe they'll maybe Judy's been cast. That's Naomi Watts. We'll find out. I, the there, are, there are some actresses on the list who, if they are going with the idea that maybe she's Josie's sister, yeah, sure, support that. I don't know. Yeah. So Chris, we're all in the same fog, I, by the way. <laughs> so starts to refer to the woman. Right. Joven, I think, is about as much as she gets, as he gets out. But he's suggesting that he's discreet and not saying, the young man here is here with you because you're obviously too old for a young man. Right. Uh, it did have that kind of classic old time movie, Smarty Hotel Clerk, kind of suggesting. It was the younger one. Chris, did you have a question? I saw you had I your hand. I don't need a mic, so... I know there's the big non-disclosure agreement about the show itself, but does anybody have any information on the forthcoming Mark Frost book that's supposed to be the history of the town or the 25 years from the series to the new series? Aside from that passage he read on YouTube, that YouTube video, 
I don't think there's much concrete information. I, I know that the, the uh, official description of the book just got tweaked or updated by the publisher, maybe really? even last week. Really? Hmm. And it was just saying it would be the ultimate way to get up to date on everything heading into uh, season three. We interviewed Mark Frost in 1993 or 1994, right after the series and film, and we asked him then, you know, why not continue Twin Peaks as a series of novels? Because we thought that might be the only way we were going to get any kind of continuation of the story. And he said then to us, oh, I, I had an idea, or I've been approached about an idea of writing the history of Twin Peaks. We'll go all the way back to geological time and why there was this, these forces in that, in that spot. I think he is still going to incorporate some of that in this book. I, I, I'm not positive of that, but uh, I think that idea has been with him for a long time. So I would say we might see some of that. But after, other than that, I think that book is as much a mystery as the new series. I think that what it really means is the couple days after it comes out, Twin Peaks fans are going to be calling off work. Because <laughs> everyone's going to be like reading that book yeah. as fast as they can yeah. for some joke. I am going to totally it. remove myself from the internet while Social I read that media. book. I do not want to know what happened on page you know, 200 when I'm only on page 150. I was yeah. telling yeah. somebody earlier today, I was like, Twin Peaks is so visual. It's like you can look at a shot of trees blowing in the wind and, and get, yeah. you can't really describe that in a book the way you see it on the screen. I feel like whenever I'm reading that book, I'm going to have to like read a couple of pages, get up and pace around the room, and then go back and read more. It's something I'm going to savor whenever it does come out. Oh, yeah. I just want to mention there is a, a third mention of Judy, which we haven't brought up. Maybe it's just kind of arbitrary in-joke, but when Briggs comes back from uh, being with Wyndham Earl, right. they, they say his name Garland, and he it says Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Yeah. And didn't David Lynch appear on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno at some point and mention someone named Judy in the audience? Judy's in the audience. So, you know, Lynch and Judy Garland, Lynch in The Wizard of Oz. So, I always thought that not talking about Judy was, I, I suppose that possibly uh, Jeffrey's was gay and he was a friend of Judy, uh -huh. and, but he had a no, no ass, don't tell. Uh, okay, all right. So he says, sure. we're not going to talk about Judy because they were probably really uh, uh, Okay. Sure. You never know. I, you never know. Yeah. I think we got a question over here. It wasn't quite in the uh, traditional FBI. Yeah, yes, it didn't quite fit in uh, with it, right. When you see somebody else. Yeah, yeah. we got one here. Will season three slash season three A and B be the last time we see <laughs> Twin Peaks on the screen? Whew. I will never say it'll be the last time we see Twin Peaks on the screen again, because I said for many years we'll never see Twin Peaks again. We're going to see Twin Peaks again. Uh, if it's a huge hit and everyone's talking about it, I can imagine they'll make more. It may be that they've said, we know how we want to tell this story now. We don't want to go back again. Um, I can't say I can't. Colossal failure. <laughs> well, if Showtime has a sense of humor, they'll cancel it before the two episodes go. 
I mean, then that'll be really good. And then Lynch will make a prequel of the seven days before the 25 years later. And I mean, there's all kinds of ways it could go. I would be really surprised if it came back, just because it's amazing that they could get this cast together once. I wouldn't be over surprised if he made another movie, but I think this will be it for TV. That would be my guess. Well, they've introduced new characters that can right. allow it to continue in a different way. Um, I mean, Lynch is going to end up directing more hours for this than he has in his career, right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have 18 hours of movie. Well, Eclipse his feature output. I mean, yeah. he's done other bits of television and things. I don't know if you add that up. But anyway, we're still getting an ungodly amount of hours of footage directed by David Lynch. Yeah. That's and, uh, you know, let's not forget, cool. as the cast is there, well, there's a lot of new young people in the cast, but Lynch himself is getting up there, too. So, uh, right. um, you know, if Lynch is gone, then there's not going to be another one. Right. Without Lynch. And if little, he has to be the one. If little Nicky is gone, there will be no Twin Peaks. An essential component. Actually, uh, <laughs> the new series stars little Nicky. Yeah, it stars him. <laughs> well, if they start, they the secret diary of little Nicky. That's yes, right. They would really be brave to start off with the first scene as little Nicky. Everybody's sitting there. <laughs> what? Right. Slowed it down. Anyone I don't think I could take any more. So, <laughs> going back to Buenos Aires, so the extended scene in the missing pieces. So Philip Jeffries pops up through the wood, and the hotel worker says, "Are you the man? Are you the man? Do you think he's referring to Bob? And if not, who else could inspire that fear of Are you the man? Like I think that." This is saying that Bob was in Philip Jeffries at some point, and he's just realizing that this man, he saw the gray-haired man with the beard, Bob, hmm. is Philip Jeffries, and he's saying, are you the man, are you the man? So do you think that's the case, or do you think there's somebody else? I've never thought about that. That's a good question. And Lynch likes to play with identity all the time, you know? Um, who, who do you think that is there? What does that really mean? Are you the man? Are you the man? Is another similar question. You know, are you the man? Could be, you know, just kind of slang. Like the man is somebody in charge, right? As an authority figure. Uh, but I've not thought about that before. Jeffries, when he sees Cooper in Philadelphia, says, "Do you know who this is? Who do you think that is there?" So that that seems to suggest some knowledge of Bob possession. Uh, it's, I never thought about it either, but it's a really good question. He's pretty scared. I mean, he, you know, he's scared. Another reference to the man is when Lynch, so I think he made it into the theatrical cut, but it's more extended in the missing pieces. When Mike is in, Mike and Bobby are in the car and they're saying, Mike is the man, Mike is the man. Yeah. Do you think they're, that's Lynch's way of explicitly saying that Mike and the man from another place are the I, same person? I have actually thought like, about this part because, um, uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting scene. You're the man, you're the man. And then so the man can be thought of as an authority, like the police. And then Bobby kills the deputy. And Laura says, you killed Mike. You killed the man. That's how I see that there might have been some interesting connection that Lynch saw there. I don't know. Wait, I, I have a question too for you guys. Anybody uh, in the car when when uh, when when Mike stops Laura and uh, and uh, Leland, 
and he's saying he's got the pink the ring on his pinky and he's saying all this stuff to him and he says um laura says to leland do i know him and i never really understood why she said do i know him and leland goes no and then he goes do you know him what is hmm. that about i, I don't I, uh, why would laura have recognized Gerard or Mike or this is or, how I always viewed that and it's a little too simplistic. I feel like John Kelly has a great answer, but I always felt it was there for the viewer. So it was there because they might have feared that because we knew who the one armed man was, it was a way of telling the viewers that Laura doesn't know who Mike is yet. Hmm. Because you know, because it is a prequel but right. we're seeing it after. Right. I think there's a couple lines in Firewalk with me where they do that, where they're trying to let you know where the what characters people stand. Are. Yeah. So he yeah. says, and then the reason Leland says, "No, you don't know. Do you know him?" Because that's a Lynch line. I mean, that's Lynch's writing. Yeah. So that is how I always viewed that. It's to let the casual viewer understand, but it's it's not the deepest stance. It could also be Leland projecting, like, "Oh, do you know these strange men?" Yeah. It could be Leland worrying that Laura knows more than he yeah. thinks she does. Yeah. I see it. But why does Laura? I think she knows. Thinks that she thinks she might know him. I gotta go back and watch that movie. Oh, okay. Again. Right. I, I, yeah, you've never seen. And, and I've only seen it once. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> the same. Wasn't scene really watching the, it. That's the same scene with the line about the thread being torn. Uh, and that one I never quite got either. Well, that's from the dream from 25 years later, right? From the There's some stuff that was scripted about thread in the dress and stuff like that. That that never made it into the film and that might have been a carryover. Are you yeah, going to ask him about his controversial dream? No, no. no, we don't say <laughs> that for another time. That, uh, that, this is his book. Uh, you know, I know that Twin Peaks Unwrapped is going to have John on their show to discuss his dream theory. I'm going to have him on the Red Room to debunk his dream theory. It's a little bit different, so you'll have your choice. So. Definitely check out both podcasts. I think we're going to wrap it up. I want to promote everything for everyone. We've got John. He's got a book here, Essential Wrapped in Plastic. It's phenomenal. It's a deep read. Uh, you got Brad Dukes with Reflections. You know, there's no commentary in it. It's just the actors telling you what happened. You'll learn so much. You've got Dave and Arthur. Uh, they did the Twin Peaks FAQ. It, it'll get you ready for season three. It's not a boring read. It's a comic read. I've been reading it, and I've been laughing quite a bit. It's, it's, it's a fun, fun book. And as Arthur says, he wrote the funny parts. And um, I have my DVDs here for the documentary about the 25th anniversary of Twin Peaks and the Red Room podcast. Thanks to the Twin Peaks Unwrapped guys for recording this. We got Ben and Brian. Check them out. We're all on Twitter. Follow the godfather of Twin Peaks, John Thorne. He's going to be on Twitter this week. And thanks to the Great Southern. Can we all give Andrew a, a round of applause here for putting this on? Thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. All right, we're here with Brad Dukes. How how you doing, Brad? I am fantastic. And how has the weekend, how has the Great Southern weekend been for you? It's just great. It's so fun to see people that I usually only see in Washington in the at the summer festival. And it's a little more laid back, I guess. So it is fun just to hang out, relax, and catch up with people that I usually talk to 
uh, via text or email most of the year. How is that different from the Washington Fest? Well, the Washington Fest has the magic of the surroundings, and it's just a little more casual here. I mean, they're both fun. I mean, it's just weird to be celebrating Twin Peaks this far along. I mean, before this, it was announced the show would come back, it was kind of like, okay, so we after we hit this 25th anniversary, <laughs> where does fandom go from here? It's kind of like we've celebrated everything there is. It's like, and now, you know, of course, it's all resetted. And uh, it's going to happen all over again. So it's really cool. And you were on two panels. You were on the writer's panel uh, and you were on a mythology panel. How was that? Oh, it was cool. I mean, just sitting next to Charlotte Stewart, I have to pinch myself. I'm like, and John Thorne and everybody. It's so cool. I just have such, such respect and admiration for all those people. And it's weird to be included in their company. <laughs> And what's next for you? I mean, are you, are you going to the Washington Festival? Yeah, I'll be up at the Washington Festival, um, taking my little brother up there. He's I introduced him to the show when he was like uh, uh, 10 or 11. <laughs> so he first went, uh, you know, five or six years ago. So it's been weird to see him grow from like this young kid into, you know, he's college age now. So he's kind of grew up with peaks and of course dove into all the Lynch stuff. So it's it's going to be a blast. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, we're here with John Thorne, writer of Essential Wrapped in Plastic. Hey, John. Hey. How, how you doing? doing? So you were here all weekend for the Great Southern. How did that go? I had a great time. It's a lot of fun to be here, and I, you know, meeting you guys was a highlight because awesome. all I ever had was voices in my head and yeah. no pictures. <laughs> um, and then seeing, you know, some other folks that I've got to meet over the last couple of years. So Scott Ryan was here, and Brad Dukes was here, and uh, David Bush and Arthur Smith. It was great and um, as you know I was able to participate on a couple of panels with them and um, we could have gone on and on I think you know mm. with the uh, with the mythology but uh, we got to a point where it was probably good to stop because uh, <laughs> there's so much you can just keep talking right. about it and talking about it. Right, well, I'm gonna ask you how are you guys doing with the, the Great Southern? Did you have fun? I've been to uh, conventions Right. Which conventions, you're just stuck in a building yes. with all these people and celebrities behind uh, ropes and and you have to pay all this money. And this was like way better than that. Mm. This is like, it was a community and it was uh, meeting you and Scott Ryan, all these mm. people we, we, we had on the show. I think for me, my favorite part of the day was having breakfast with everybody. Oh, you yeah. know, like the yeah. first day was yeah. Dave and Scott, and then this morning was you and Scott and Dave and Scott's wife, uh -huh. and I, I love that. I don't know. It was yeah, it was real was... free form. We were just talking about whatever came. Yeah. There was a lot of Twin Peaks talk, but I think we talked about Fargo and True Detective and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. It was fun. I, I don't yeah. know what. That's what I like, and it was yeah. like we all we. We had the common interest of Twin Peaks, and then you branch out, and you realize right. We've, we've, we finally met, but I felt like I've known yeah, them, right, right. you guys before that. So I think that's been the best part. Well, that's the nice thing about this, the Great Southern, and also um, I think the Twin Peaks Festival is similar in many respects. Um, it's a little more organized in a specific spot, uh, but that banquet 
that they have on Friday night. But, you know, that's what happens. Everybody breaks off into groups and they're talking and they're chatting. They're catching up on what happened in the last year. And it's very social and it's very comfortable. Everybody's relaxed. There isn't even the celebrities, call them the celebrity actors or whatever. And we had Charlotte Stewart here this weekend with us. It reminds me of the old festivals. And when I say the old festivals, because the last festival was pretty large and there were lines for autographs. And back, you know, uh, years ago, this, the actors would be there at the old festivals and you mingle with them and you talk to them and you chat with them after you had the banquet and they were all so warm and generous. That's what Charlotte was like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she oh, was just yeah. like walking Talked around, hanging oh, out yeah. with us, joking around, talking, really asking special. us yeah. questions. Right. It was fun. Yeah. And she brought, uh, she brought the uh, smiley buttons and that to me yeah. is a highlight that she shared that with me. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was wearing a smiley face button when she went to the funeral. Yeah. yeah. And so now she, now she wants to engage with the community here at Great mm-hmm. Southern and to actually have her bring her own buttons and start handing them out to people. I think that I was touched yeah. by that, that, that she would think of us. Right. Yeah. We have to mention, because we'll get in trouble if we don't, that we we got to see the world premiere of Scott Ryan's film at the uh, yeah. at the movie yeah. uh, showings. They had a number of Wait, short yeah. films. Twin Peaks? Yes. And um, it was great, Scott. It was great. Amazing, We Scott. all loved it. Um, <laughs> it was fun to see that. And he really gives you a good sense of what it's like to be up there in, in Snoqualmie during the festival. So he did a great job. Lots of humor in it, too. So, and it was approved by Charlotte Stewart. She uh, she, she really enjoyed it. did. She was moved by it yeah. because he was able to include Catherine Coulson. Right. Got some really nice footage of her mm. talking, and I think uh, Charlotte was was moved by that. Yeah. So it was all awesome. good. We liked yeah. it. I think that was that was Scott's highlight. Yeah. <laughs> I really I was saying that um, he seemed on top of the world. Mm-hmm. After yes, he that. did. And almost like. He just mellowed out. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to pick fights with anybody because I'm on this high. For like 10 minutes. <laughs> like 10 minutes. And um, it was cool. It, um, meeting Scott was awesome. Uh, sure, he, yeah. He, he's like kind of like the life of the party. Yeah, like, he, he is a, he's a character. Yeah. He's got yeah. a lot of good things to say. Yeah, and um, like I like how he doesn't agree with everybody. He sticks to his guns. <laughs> he picks fights. He picks fights. But like... Um, he's so good. He's very yeah. good. Oh, yes. About it. He's very sweet. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes down to it, he know he respects everybody. I yeah. know he, how much he respects you. Oh. You've become the godfather. Oh, that's what he started Twitter. calling me. Uh, no, that's going to start spreading around I've now. I've been saying it all day. <laughs> spread it on Twitter? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. All right. I, I was telling Ben, I, we're driving back, and I'm like, I can't believe I was just driving the godfather to put peace around. <laughs> I felt I had like this amount of responsibility. You know what? I, 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 <laughs> Brian was afraid he was in a car accident and killed the Godfather. Uh, I was like, what look. if I killed the Godfather? I was like, this is crazy. No. That's a All joking aside, though, it's been an honor to it meet you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I thank you for that, but really, you know, I just, <laughs> just a regular guy. <laughs> we haven't write about Twin Peaks for a while, so that's <laughs> <laughs> all it is, uh, you know. <laughs> The Godfather, <laughs> but it's gonna stick. I think it's oh, gonna no. stick. Oh, well, thanks God for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks God. We should talk. We should mention Andrew Blossom at some point. I yes. Say, yes. Andrew Blossom was sort of the guy who was running this whole thing. He seemed to be always there, mm-hmm. wherever you were. He was there, and he was kind of monitoring it and real mellow about it and kind right. of knew the answer to every question you might have about yeah. where we needed to go yeah. and what was happening next and. 
you know, he made it look easy. I bet it wasn't. Oh, and right. I, I, you know, something like this, I've never run something like right. this, but you, I've been around a lot of these things and seen what the pressures are of right. keeping everything on track and keeping everybody happy and making sure everything goes, uh, you know, according to plan. Um, I know he probably had some people that we can't name because we don't know who they were, uh, but we can certainly say thanks to Andrew Blossom for yeah. doing yeah. a great job. Thank you, Andrew. That was what Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine doing something like this. He did make it look easy. Yeah. He was always just, yeah, very he calm did. and mellow. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Super nice. It's also interesting getting all these businesses together and be like, can you decorate your place like this and have a theme? That's the nice thing about th this because this little downtown area of Richmond, all the little businesses, the restaurants in particular, but the bookstore and yeah. uh, they were all kind of, you know, embracing the idea of Twin Peaks. They had all their signs out. Some of them, the place we were, I don't know if you went to that uh, place we went for lunch for pizza today. Yes, they we, we they had the red curtains on the side yeah. and they had a special menu. You could get a, a red pizza, or yep, was that something, yep. something like that? Yeah, yeah with a red, red pizza, and then we got a white, white pizza. pizza. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, they were excited about it, too. Yeah. That was cool. So, John, you actually had your book here. You had mm -hmm. it available at, at both panels, and mm -hmm. uh, it must have been great to be actually able to see people and, and share your book with, with fans. Yes, there were a lot of very enthusiastic fans. Some people were aware of what Wrapped in Plastic was. It had I think I saw... Met a couple people today who had just practically every issue, and they brought issue one to have me sign it, which oh, was kind was of nice. fun. Yeah. And uh, and then some new people who were like, you know, I know what it was. I'm so glad you have the book, and and they got the book and uh, seemed to be excited about it, which makes me happy because, um, you know, we put a lot of material into wrapped in plastic over the years. It's, much of it's out of print now. And I took you know, a portion of the magazines. By far, there's there's more in the magazine that's not in the book, but I, I tried to pull out what I thought was really important material about Twin Peaks, put it in the book. So if it's out of print now, it's back in print. People can, can yeah. read the Frank Silva interview and read some of those essays that I wrote and assorted other goodies that right. are in there. This book is just so amazing. I, I love all the interviews that you have from Rapid Plastic and that you mentioned Frank Sylvia. Mm -hmm. I mean, just there's so many good essays that you have and it's just, it's just like, it's a must have. I can't stress it, it's a must have. <laughs> nobody, will, nobody will regret buying this. And Brian, you actually bought this today. Yes, huh? <laughs> yes I'm very excited to read it. <laughs> good, good. Awesome. Well, and now that Brian has finally completed the, the Twin yeah, Peaks well, you now completing the cycle actually, of, uh, the circle. of the circle. The circle. Now I the, circle. the book won't spoil anything. I for know. You. I, and I was telling Ben, I'm like, when I get home, I want to watch Twin Peaks again. <laughs> Cut out those bad episodes, then watch the movie again. And yeah. I'm going to read, I want to read the Great. books. It's like the theories. And I love just throwing, like, during dinner, what do you think about this? <laughs> what do you think about this? Yeah. Like, Ben and myself will talk about it, but it's like, also, it's good to hear from you and some other people. Like, yeah. Sure. Did you notice this, or what yeah. did you think about that? And, and it's just amazing. I've said this before, but you know, you start talking to people. I've studied Twin Peaks for so long and written about it and thought about it, and then yet suddenly, Brian, you've mentioned stuff like I never thought of that. You, you'll bring up something that I've never thought of, and other people, you know, make yeah. a connection to something. Yeah. And it just shows how rich the work is. It's yeah. just amazing. We can yeah. keep. We can keep talking about it and finding cool things to talk about yeah. in Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 25 years later, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you know what else was it was fun? Last night was the 
the 10th of June, and it was the exact 25th anniversary of the final episode that yeah. aired. And I think it was Scott who had us at the moment that Cooper said, how's Annie, in the episode. Yeah. Well, the funny the, thing is, John, actually, We all yeah. said it, and right. yeah. Well, the funny thing, though, John, is that we're sitting around, and you were the one that brought it up. It's like, what time is it? It's like, wait a minute here. It's almost 11. It would be 25 years ago. To the moment. To the moment. And then that's when all of a sudden Scott jumps up. It's like, wait a minute. Give me, give me my phone. I gotta do something. It's like, what is he doing? He wants to take our picture right now. Like, what's going on? And he actually got us all on the couch, lined up together, and yeah. we said, "How's Annie? How's Annie?" And right. But yeah, it was so yeah. like in the moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was good. So thank you, John, for your time. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope we can talk again. I think yes. we'd love to have you for Firewalk with Me. At oh some man, point. I'd be so happy to talk about Firewalk with Me. I know I've got a lot written about it in there, and. And some of it's, I guess, controversial. So uh, I love that. We, we shouldn't so, all just agree on, on everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, right. You know what fun would it be if we right. all agreed on the on right. the same thing? Yes, I mean, right. you know, I don't expect everyone to agree with me. I just want to put out what I think is a cool idea and right. show you why I think it's a good idea. And um, boy, that gets some conversation going. So that's a good thing. And oh, we can yeah. talk. I'd love to talk more about it when you whenever you guys are ready. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, for being on today's show. Amongst everybody else we've had on today, uh, the panel was excellent. And we went Facebook Live with it, and you can you can see what everybody looks like. You could see the guests that asked the questions. You could see the venue we were in. And I appreciate everybody who actually tuned in and watched us doing Facebook Live. Uh, we hope to do that in the future. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, let us know if that's something that you guys want us to do again. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the end of the Great Southern for uh, 2016. <laughs> it's a shame. It's so yeah. sad, Ben. It was good, though. I mean, it was, it was so cool to be able to see our colleagues and friends of the show and just to be able to hang out with them. And yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, it was an amazing time. You know, so next week, we're going to have uh, Joel Baco on. So I, mean, oh. I know people have been looking forward to hearing what Joel has to say. And uh, yes. yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be next week. We'll have Joel Baco talking about, uh, I think, well, probably episode uh, 25 through 29. Or but something. mainly 29. Mainly 29, right. This is I, the big one. Yeah. Like, people had to wait for me to watch the final episode and you know this is the fest and this is the last episode of the fest and next week this is the big one this is like i think the the top don't overhype it, it now i i have to it's so good and there you know after this weekend talking to people about firewalk with me and uh the final episode and and it just like opens your mind to so many more ideas and possibilities and theories and i love it but joe Baco, it's an amazing episode and then after that we're going to be doing the firewalk with me stuff which is also very exciting yeah so, so. for people who's listening how is how is brian able to talk about firewalk with me we purposely recorded us after i watched firewalk with me because we didn't want for me to come to this festival and get a preconceived notion without seeing it. Also, we recorded it because if someone had told me their theory, I might make that my theory, so it wouldn't be a genuine reaction to the movie. No. We did record before going there, so it's my genuine reaction to seeing the film and the missing pieces. So I, I, I could go to the fest, not be spoiled, and uh, we could still uh, continue with our show. Yeah, and so that'll be in a few weeks we'll have the fire walk with me. So I think we should get out of here, Ben. We should get some sleep. We're tired. It's been a long day. Um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, thank you for everybody who does follow us. And uh, Facebook. Like us on Facebook. We're going to do more Facebook live events. Um, 
maybe a future live show who knows and we tons of photos tons of videos yeah. scott ryan us going how's annie that's on there like our whole weekend if you're interested is up there you can watch look at the photos and videos and you can send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped.gmail.com and give us that five-star rating and uh, give us a nice little review on iTunes. And I guess we'll see you in the trees. See you in the trees. You guys are jerks, man. <laughs> <laughs>